Hello folks, welcome back to Views from the 4-5, this is episode 4. I'm Kieran Devlin, uh, a writer at the 4-5, uh, and you are? I'm Rob Hakimian, reviews editor on the 4-5, ah, and yeah. host of this podcast, that's, that's oh, yeah, we are. an estimable position to hold. I, I, I am also a host of this podcast, in case you haven't very cleverly inferred. Um, so yeah, it's uh, just let, let's kick off, uh, Rob, you've just returned from... Pukopop in Belgium, Hasselt to be precise, which is a kind of weird upmarket town full of middle-aged retirees that has this big space for a field where they can fit in a massive festival that's been running for over 30 years now. Um, and uh, yeah, I had the opportunity to go and um, experience it and I had a great time. I saw loads of acts. I've written my review. I already covered 22 different acts. Uh, in my review over the three-day festival, so I think that's pretty good going. Um, yeah, I would recommend Pickle Pop to anyone. I don't know who they'll have next year, but if they have as diverse a lineup as they had this year, which included... Well, the headliners were the XX, who I did see, and then the other headliners were Bastille and Mumford and & Sons, neither of whom I saw. But, I mean, at the time when I could have been watching Bastille, I, instead I was watching Nicholas Jar, which is not a bad thing at all. No, certainly not. And um, then at the time when Mumford and Sons were on, I was watching Tyler Bowman play an absolutely incredible DJ set. So, you know, there's always options, even if the big names don't appeal to you. And while the XX was playing, I was sad to be missing out on Mac DeMarco. So uh, the only reason I missed out is because we'll see him at End of the Road next week. We, we, certainly, we certainly will, which I imagine we'll do a pretty in-depth recap. Yeah, I also that. had to miss Parquet Courts in order to see Clark, but at least I'll see Parquet Courts next week as well. And Clark was absolutely insanely good. That was one of the best electronic sets I've seen for a while, like solid hour of like pulverizing techno, even though it's the middle of the afternoon. And then he's had these amazing dances with him as well, which I was not expecting. So that was really cool. I actually think that, just as a quick tangent, I actually think that Clark album is one of the most underappreciated this year. It's the really, Death really Peak. good. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. But I liked his last one, the self-titled one. Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, and he played a lot from both of those, obviously. So, yeah. No, oh, nice. Well, um, by the time uh, you hear this, um, Rob's Rob's festival review will be up. Yeah, and uh, yeah, check it out. I wrote a lot, but you don't have to read it all. Um, and they provided some really amazing pictures of all the acts, except Solange for some reason, which is oh. a shame because she had a really nice set and she put on a good set. But uh, yeah, the other 21 acts, I've got amazing pictures of all of them you should check out and some general pictures of the festival provided by the press agency which was very nice so thank you to them and thank you for, to them for taking me out there oh. you know we're eternally grateful for these kinds of opportunities that are always so rare for us poor writers Ab absolutely absolutely well they're, they're, they're ignore the guardian's long read and read rob's long read instead i'm sure it'll be far more insightful um, um well just um a second-hand correction um so with that we had from the our second podcast uh our Taylor Swift correspondent, uh, Caroline, my girlfriend, has got in, uh, in touch for the second time and just 100% clarified the song Kendrick Lamar featured on from Taylor Swift was Bad Blood. Bad okay. Blood. Now we can all move on with our lives. Um, and, uh, yeah, and we actually have, for our new designated section, Queen Lord and King Kenny, we actually have quite, quite a few things to unpack here. Uh, shall we get on to those Lord reworkings? So, uh, so Lord last week released six different live reworkings of songs from melodrama, including Homemade Dynamite, Writer in the Dark, Supercut, um, and they're 
Yeah, they're really, really good, I think. They're quite powerful, and the way she gets into it is quite captivating. She almost seems captivated herself by her own tunes. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's amazing on every level. I mean, not just because the songs are amazing and the reworks are so well done. It's wonderfully recorded both, I mean, orally and visually. Like, the videos are really good. Like, the one where she does Loveless, she goes to the roof with, like, a choir and they do it a cappella and then they put the tape on the boombox and then sing the... um, yeah, the Loveless outro to Hard Feelings, which is really good. And yeah, you can just see how, yeah, she's right, you're right, she's captivated by the performances. Um, and just hearing some some of the songs in a whole new way. Like, I thought that the the Louvre with the French horn uh, sounded like the National a little yeah, bit. And yeah. so did Sober as well. Um, uh, the only one that didn't change that much was Writer in the Dark, but it, it was still really good just to see how impassioned she was in mm. her delivery she was like kate bush and she had this weird like puffy white uh dress on mm. which was quite interesting well i think what it really exposed was just how intelligent the songwriting was and how clever some of the lyrics are especially in the way they ride on the music um because that, that can off when you have like the the miasma studio production overworking it that can like the intricacies of the melody and the chord changes can get lost occasionally. And um, the lyrics. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And But the, this was such a pronouncement of it. It really solidified how good an album melodrama is, even if you strip it to a skeletal self. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a song like Supercut, where she's turned it into like this very skeletal, just a thumping kick drum and some piano, and you can, and it's still, she carries that melody in her voice and it works, it still works so well. And then you get more out of the lyrics in this way, in a way. So, yeah. And just, I just had a really good time watching it. Like, if they should make that into a half hour special and put it on TV somewhere. I love that. If she'd like something with the, the NPR or something. Imagine she has done at some point. But uh, yeah, if they actually like, um, spliced them all together and just made it like a... like a mu- like, I, I imagine it's only a matter of time until we have a melodrama musical anyway. So it's Ooh, just a- that would be cool. Like a Lord's Jukebox musical. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Can you cool. imagine how big Royals would be in the middle of that? That would be <laughs> the one for the before the, um, before the, the interval, you know? Yeah will never be royals and then by the end they are royals yeah <laughs> that is the trajectory of the lord music music right. mu- <coughs> musical well uh, rob will get started started writing that musical tonight um do, do, before we move on do you have a favorite from the cuts uh i think maybe homemade dynamite or as i said supercut was really good i don't know it's hard to choose yeah. they're all amazing they are they're, they're very like interesting in their own way um i'd probably uh, I I know it's the most like corresponding, but I think Rage of the Dark was just yeah. so clear and like she uh, there was like um, the way she just seemed lost and and it was just yeah. was just so amazing. I think that might be my favorite song on the album. Now. Yeah, it's just so much fun yeah. every time. I sing along like a madman. It's so funny. Uh, we also have some King Kenny news. Um, some Kendrick a few weeks ago um, released the loyalty video with Rihanna. Uh, yeah, we we just rewatched it just for, to remind ourselves of it. What, what did you th- what did you think of it? Uh, really cool imagery. Um, I really liked Kendrick's acting in it when he was acting as both the mob boss and the guy getting um, getting killed, getting suffocated. Uh, the Rihanna part where she's a prostitute, she spits the gum into the car is a bit weird. But then I liked Kendrick trying to beat the guy up afterwards. <laughs> uh, I don't know what the overall message is like. Oh, me and you were 
gonna I guess it's kind of the same message as the world like if we're loyal to each other no one can defeat us kind yeah. of thing it was pretty cool yeah I, I really liked it um more, I more just enjoyed the image of like uh, Kendrick lighting up a big old cigar, just like oh, yeah. absolute, <laughs> just like an absolute baller. There. But uh, yeah, that is quite interesting the way they they sink beneath it and everything. Um, yeah, the kind of quicksand of yeah. the road is very cool. Uh, it's not it's not one of the most like um, deep songs on Dam, but it's it's a really fun video and you should definitely check it out. Yeah. In your car, the radio up. We keep trying to talk about us. I'm someone you maybe might love. I'll be your quiet afternoon crush. Be your violent overnight rush. Make you crazy over my touch. But it's just a super cut of us. Super cut of us. Oh, it's just a super cut of us. Moving on to general news now. We have new Grimes music teased. I haven't actually checked this out. I completely forgot about this, and I'm a huge Grimes fan, so I'm annoyed that I haven't checked it. But tell me, what, what is, what's it all about? So um, she claims she's nearly finished her follow-up to 2015's Stellar Art Angels. Oh, that would be um, amazing. No actual music has been released yet, but like heavy hints. She's been quite candid about it. Um, and quite. She's actually got into quite a bit of detail. Uh, allegedly it's more down tempo, slower paced, more synthy, and presumably that means there'll be less bass, maybe less sort of overdubs on it. The direct quote is she's searching for an unexplored sonic landscape, which sounds quite ace in my opinion. Yeah, and if anyone's going to find it, it might be her. Because she is one of the most talented producers in the world, and seeing her perform, perform at Coachella last year... Uh, where she was by far and away my favourite act of the whole weekend on a weekend where it was LCD's comeback gig which was also incredible but Grimes was even better and just really impressed upon me how much of a, 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 a talented producer she is I'm surprised that more artists haven't tapped her up to mm. produce songs for her because I know um, at that performance at Coachella Janelle Monet came on to do Butterfly together and she was like you're now witnessing one of the most talented producers in the world kind of thing so mm. I thought that you know by now we'd be hearing about her you know uh, producing tracks for more rappers and pop stars but she's done one for um, that Taiwanese rapper who's on her album I can't remember what her name is now oh um, Scream not Scream the song's um, called Scream Arist- Aristophanes Aristophanes that's right yeah so and uh, that song's amazing as well so I don't know why I don't know, maybe she's trying to focus on her own stuff, which is yeah. fine with me because I love her music and I'm I'm very excited to hear. I think down tempo sounds like it could be a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm, I imagine it's more of a like her agency. Like I imagine it's her being quite discerning and selective for what she yeah. chooses to work on. Interesting. And maybe she'll have got some amazing guests for this new one. We'll have to wait and see. That that would that would spring Vince Staples. Oh, like <laughs> Vince's Vince's flow with uh, Grimes. I mean, I just I just suggest Vince Staples for everything. But like, yeah. I feel this is especially salient. Um, we also have three new Fortet songs in the past month or six weeks or so. Three. I've only heard two of them. I'm so behind. Well, there's two released under Kieran Hebden's Monica Fortet, and then yeah. another one under like just some general weird symbols which dependent on the device you use come up as fun emojis i see um so have people you, know that that one's fought it uh because he announced it okay and then re- re- like linked over to it um all three are expectedly great um yeah. planet is 
in my opinion, the highlight. Yeah, Planet is amazing. Even though I still got 2.7 out of 5 on Resident Advisor. <laughs> I don't know why they... How do, how do, yeah. It's such, it's such a strange rating system. Is that is that rate, is it rated by fans or is it... No, no it's writers. Is it? Yeah. Okay, that's curious. I'd love to just see what they rank as like a, like a 4.5 or higher. Yeah. Um... But what 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 do you think? It, do you think it signifies anything in particular? Like, is there a new album on the way? I really don't know because he's not put the not said anything, has he? He hasn't said that they're coming on a twelve inch even or anything like that. Whereas no. you know the album, the songs for Pink, which is my favorite Forte album, isn't really an album because it was released as four different twelve inches mm. and then he kind of collected them together as an album. So maybe he's doing something similar here. Right. That, yeah, that'd be that'd be quite cool. He just yeah puts out a bunch of tracks and then later on says, "Oh, here's a here's a zip of them all <laughs> for yeah. ten quid." Yeah. Uh, well, well, we'll wait and see. Who knows? Maybe maybe he'll drop something in the next few weeks. And the next time we're chatting, we'll be discussing a new Forte album, which maybe. would be. I like there's too there's too much good music in the next few weeks. I couldn't deal with another Forte album. Well, uh, you'll just have to. Yeah, if it comes along, you won't yeah. have any choice. And speaking of good music coming up, we had a series of quite big album announcements yeah. um, the past few weeks, one of which was brand new, but uh, then that was quickly succeeded by the album itself dropping, so more yeah. on that later. Uh, other ones including that, the Knife live album and concert film, what do you make of that? Well, I got to see the Knife twice on that last tour, and it was really amazing. I know a lot of people were kind of annoyed that they focused on the shaking her the habitual tracks and didn't play too much from previous to that, but yeah, I thought that was amazing. I don't know if it's really required though i'd rather they just put on another studio album the film will be good i don't know if the because they obviously put on some good visuals and had some amazing collaborators in their um visual stage show uh, but i don't know if the live album will be necessary really uh yeah. we'll see um yeah. But hopefully this means that they will, are working on more stuff. Is that just too hopeful? I, I think I feel that might be optimism. Um, Maybe she's working on a Fever Ray album. Yeah, that'd be cool. I, I'd be really, I'd be really happy with that. Um, also, it doesn't help things that it's not actually being released in the US or the UK. No, um, and uh, their PR said they don't ha they haven't got it for review either. So. No, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, I'm finding it hard to get excited about it. Um, maybe uh, maybe it may be worth like importing from the U or something. Yeah, maybe we'll see. I'll wait till the MP3 surfaces online and hear yeah. that first. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, and then also another one. Me and Rob are quite excited about James Holden and the Animals. The, what's the name of the band? The Animal Spirit. The Animal Spirits. Yeah, yeah. not the Animal. Um, which, judging by the lead single, was it "Walk Through the Fire," is going to be pretty wild, kind of very uh, heady psycho jazz which sounds like a lot of fun i mean uh, um on the morning that it was announced i was so excited i re-listened to the inheritors his last album from 2013 for the first time in ages just to remind myself how unique of a producer and musician he is and uh that album is a real trip and now he's got five live musicians in the studio with him going through the motions with him recording live and i think it's going to be a pretty spectacular album can you imagine just like the, the creative urgency in that room? Just like just all these minds f yeah. mixing together. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, that's coming November 3rd. Uh, really looking forward to this. That one's called The Animal Spirits, and it comes out November 3rd through Border Community, and it's going to be good. 
Yeah, very, very excited for that one. And the last one uh, that I'd like to bring up is Julian Baker's new album coming out in October. Yeah, which she told us was going to happen when we yep. saw her. But I kind of didn't believe it was going to happen because it's been like two months since yep. that and no, no news had arised. And yep. then this week, a beacon of hope as she released, what was the single called? Appointments. Appointments, which is just absolutely a knockout. Uh, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's like, I, I've been standing for Julian Baker for ages, ever since I saw her crop up in an end of, like, end of the year review of 2015 with Sprained Ankle, and it's just been, she's been knocking out of the park every time since then. Um, but I think she's getting better and better, like... <laughs> You know, like Funeral Pyre was arguably her best single when it came out in January, yeah. and now Appointments is arguably her best song. Yeah, I'm, I was annoyed that Funeral Pyre isn't on, isn't going to be on the album. Mm. But if they're all going to be as good as Appointments, then maybe I won't miss it at all. Yeah, well, I'm sure she's going to break her hearts and build them back up again. Um, yeah. I've I've written a very brief sort of like track review on the four or five. If you if you want to pop over there and listen to it and read read all about it. Yeah, the album's called Out Go the Lights, right? Yep. Uh, October 27th. Yeah, which is a fairly sort of nominal, nominative determinism yeah. title for, uh, for Julian. Maybe it's all gonna turn out alright And I know that it's not But I have to believe that it is I have to believe Shall we move on to some albums from the last few weeks? Wow. Yes, let's do it. There's been some exciting stuff. Shall we shall we begin with uh with brand new? That's brand new. Let's bra- let's let's do the brand new. Um so as we're recording this, brand new album Science Fiction dropped last Thursday. Um Out of I, the Blue. Yeah. Um they had two like uh, two days before they Maybe even one day before they they sent they tweeted about a special edition vinyl of the of the record and also announced the new UK and US tour and then and then without any detail or even a title um, and then they sent out CDs to some fans it it seemed random but apparently it was calculated um, and then obviously the album leaked in a in like a quotation marks because this is brand new everything around it is deliberate they love being enigmatic and mysterious and fucking over the music industry um and i reviewed it for the far for the, the four or five and i gave it a 10 out of 10 my, the first um review i've ever given a perfect score to yeah i don't know when the last time we gave it 10 on the four or five was i have no idea um yeah uh so obviously i have thoughts about it um, I but before we go into it, what you are less big on it, but you, yeah. Well, what do you think? I like it a lot. I uh, I do. I mean, I I have a soft spot for brand new, um, particularly the Devil and God Raging Inside Me. I have so many memories attached to that album, and I can still remember the first time hearing Sewing Season on some shitty like dvd player <laughs> coming out of t- a really rubbish tv but even still being like wow this is amazing when that riff hits and uh, they they were 
in my top 10 albums of the decade, last decade. And uh, so, yeah, obviously I've been waiting for this album a long time, but it's been eight years since they brought out Daisy in 2009. I've That's like the whole of my 20s, basically. So a lot has changed for me since the last brand new album. And obviously, so a lot has changed for them when you listen to this yeah. uh, from the bit offset, pretty much. Once you get past the first sample, uh, it's just a much cleaner, more stadium-sized sound we were talking last week about Manchester Orchestra and I think this they've taken a lot of tips from their friends mm. Manchester Orchestra and in the expanding their sound and making it more because I mean they can sell out uh, uh, pretty big venues these days it's crazy kind of crazy how popular they are um, and this album is kind of playing up to that um, I think the first five tracks are absolutely amazing and I could actually get on board with a 10 out of 10 for the first five tracks alone. I think it takes a little bit of a dip, up, dip after that. Not a massive one and I still like every track but not as much as the first five until 4, 451 or 451 hmm. is a really good one Yeah, uh, towards the end. Um, but you tell me more about the themes of it which is what makes it such an impressive album for you. Um, so I think why I mentioned that hits first for me is the clarity of the production the fact that they can still write incredibly satisfying incredibly gratifying hooks and coders like what um i feel specializes and differentiates um brand new from all other emo bands and majority of artists generally is their ability to make these grand moments where everything overlaps and it's just absolutely nails the sweet spot of what you're looking for in terms of just pure oral bliss and there's about 10, 12, 15 moments on this album where it does that, whereas even on The Devil and God I'd say there's like 5 or 6 there's a handful, uh, it's just constant and it's just it's just an exemplary of the, the, the quality, the standard of songwriting and production across the record the way the, the guitars fold into each other, the um I can get it out, um, in my opinion, the second best song from the album, after Same Logic Teeth, um, which is just structure. I could go, I could write 5,000 words about Same Logic Teeth, about why it's a structural masterpiece, and why it's one of the most important songs about mental health ever written, and about drug abuse ever written. Um, but they can get it out. There's, um, I think it's one of the last bridges, um, where the, vocal, the backing vocals come in, purely to substantiate the vocalist Jesse Lacey's um, point about his own in feelings of inadequacy and misrepresentation of Brand New as a band. He fa the, the song's about how he feels he's dragged Brand New from pop punk towards this hardcore emo aesthetic and why he feels that sort of, a certain of guilt about maybe bastardising their own career or a different direction they could have gone in. And it's so intelligent, but the way the the vocals come in, it's just gorgeous at the same time. And that happens across like for the guitar solo four five one. Desert has this this really fun but quite sinister um, Spanish guitar thing in the background. Um, and then same logic. Every chord change it's like operatic. The way um, the vocal pitches change every five seconds. The chords all over the place. It goes from this very soft spoken um like pirouettes into this hardcore just wall of destruction 
and it's 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 stunning. I mean, um, did you, did you have uh, any specific thoughts about uh, any song that like jumped out at you as, as special? Well, I mean, let me just say that all, basically all the ones you mentioned are within the first five, which I I said are incredible. And then it it dips uh, a bit. You've got to admit. Uh, uh, right, right. No, so De- desert and four five one are up there. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk okay. about desert because in that one he's taking on the perspective of a very kind of religious person yeah. who um, who doesn't like homo- uh, homosexuality yeah. and uh, yeah, and uh, it's amazing. It's good, but it makes me think back to other songs where he's taken on a persona, particularly limousine, mm. which had so much more like edge to it and so much more. Oh, it was just so gutsy the way mm. he, he brought that out. I think like desert is good, but it could have been a bit more cutting. I don't know. See, and I well, yeah, I can I can see that. It's it's always it doesn't like there's not much subtlety to it. It's probably um, one of the most direct, um, brash songs on the album. But I feel like there's a lot of songs that served as like junctures to other ones. Um, that one, um, so Desert, and then there's a, a few other ones, including the, the opener as well, where they feel more like they're expounding an atmosphere or a tone. And there's, there's a lot, there's a very deeply apocalyptic, uh, nihilistic approach to it. Um, 137 is, um, is, is something to do with like um, atoms within the nuclear bomb, yeah. it's what it's referencing. Yeah. And it's the idea, like, we're always so we're operating on the precarity between life and death constantly which has always been a running through line of brand new's work and i feel like it's just been this feels like the culmination of brand new's career especially with eight years it's very self-referential of how fans have been clamoring for eight years for this album and that this is the finale and can and in conjunction with chester bennington deaths and chris cornell's death the, the point i make in my review is that Emo is uh, emo's fourth wave is so exciting at the moment. It's one of the best music rounds coming from emo music about depression, but it's coming from people who are in their twenties, early thirties. There's very little coming from guys in their forties and fifties. And the point, I guess, that this sort of um, aggravates and amplifies is that depression is obstinate and it's permanent and it's potentially lifelong, and it's. And then so many factors coalescing into one, and it's just the strength of songwriting. I feel it's just, yeah, I feel I still feel justified in giving it a ten. But I can I can see I can see where you're you're coming from in terms of, uh, some songs aren't as, yeah. But I mean, big. even on any album, you would give ten. Genuinely, there's always songs you would pick out as lesser. Uh, yeah. Let's just talk about um. Out of Mana for a second. Okay. Is that like a, a Warcraft song where he's kind of comparing <laughs> being God to playing Warcraft kind of thing? I don't know. It kind of, it's a bit cheesy to me, the whole song. I, I, I think so. But I, I, what I extrapolated from it was the idea that um, it's, it's, I guess it's quite a clunky analogy, but the idea that the mana, the life force, the, the, the sense of energy... Yeah. Like how like depression can drain you and f- f- like force you with lethargy and the idea that that is there really much different. You're like the Walking Dead. If you're just so drained of energy and joy, you are essentially dead. And yeah. that's what why I took from it. Okay, all right. 
and no control. It's just so on the nose. <laughs> but um, it could easily be like a, a minor crossover hit because it's so the cat chorus is just so lethargically catchy yeah. and simple to sing along it's got, to. It's got, it's got good hooks. Like, it's, it's, yeah. like, it's, not, it's fairly basic, but it's got, it's got a good hook in it. And do you think the batter up is about aliens? Interesting. I've not thought about that. I, I just, I just like exhume that as their, their eight minute farewell, just like a chronicling of their career. And then what, 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 um, what part of it that's so? Uh, I can't remember now. I was just reading the annotations on Genius, and someone compared it to Aliens, and I thought it was interesting. But now I can't remember any any specific examples of why. Um, anyway, you can do your own investigation yeah. on that one. Have a, have a listen to science fiction. Uh, oh, the other thing I wanted to point out is how much she talks about drowning on this album. Yeah, He's always done lot. that. It's always yeah. been throughout his albums, but I think this one, especially, he it's almost every song there's yeah. some kind of drowning yeah. thing, uh, which is creepy. Yeah. And uh, their use of samples on this album to maintain the mood is really good. Mm. Like I think that kind of makes me like the album as a whole more than the sum of its parts because of the way it's kind of stitched together like that mm. and it feels like a journey and uh what do you make of the samples included do you think they ha- have thematic relevance i think there's to an extent there's like allusions to like seven years and eight years and yeah like very sort of grandiose themes and how they i can't remember there's some there's something about a guy who really likes this viewpoint um what but as you say i think from for me, the positives for are more tonal, as you say. It reminded me of um, like a Godspeed You Black Emperor yeah. album. Um, any any final thoughts before we move on? Uh, definitely worth checking out, and I think that these songs will be really good live. So yep. yeah, that's uh, If you can get tickets to see them, it's yeah. very hard to do. Forty five quid. Yeah. And they're doing Brixton in October or November, and yeah. that's going to be like their intimate tour. And they'll probably do one more go around the world yeah. next year, playing like Wembley Arena or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, check out and let us know what you think. Lift your voice and scrape your knees. Kids in love plant the seed. Resurrect the stars. Next up, we have The War on Drugs, A Deeper Understanding. Yes, indeed. The War on Drugs, fourth album, A Deeper Understanding. One of my, They've been consistently one of my favorite bands for a long time. And I know that the the relative breakout success of um, their last album, Lost in the Dream, was a surprise for a lot of people. And it also just got so much re- replayed on BBC Radio 6 and uh, probably even Radio 4 or Radio 2 a little bit. I don't know. And it got on the nerves of a lot of people. And uh, that was one of my favorites of that year. But then I kind of stopped listening to it for a while. And I was a bit trepidatious about a fourth one because I didn't know, really know how much bigger they could go with their sound. They'd moved to a major label on the back of the success of that one. Uh, but just from the minute you press play on a deeper understanding you're just engrossed in some of the best rock production and it is all about the production throughout this because it's just so luscious and um 
there's so much going on in every track, but it never feels unbalanced. It feels perfectly coalesced. I just don't know how he's done it. It sounds so good. Um, their albums have always given me a kind of uh, feeling of being on a road trip. They're perfect road trip music. Mm, yeah. um, and as each album's gone along and their kind of sound has grown and the production skills have um, improved, it kind of feels like getting a better car to go on a road trip each time. So... Uh, you start with like a tractor in uh, in the first one, which I can't. Uh, what was the first album called? I can't remember now. And then on, oh my goodness, uh, Slave Ambient, you're in a slightly better kind of uh, secondhand car. And then on um, Lost in the Dream, you're in a like a Mercedes or something like that. And on this one, you're in like a chauffeur-driven four by four, just absolutely dominating the road. Um, I just think the whole album sounds incredible. Um, what do you think? Yeah, uh, so with Lost in the Dream, I liked it at first, but after a while, because it was overplayed so much, I, I began to leave me a bit cold. Um, but I think that's because I'd been... Now, this might sound a bit facetious, but I think I was approaching the album wrong. Yeah. Um, like, I was like putting onto playlists and everything and looking... And with playlists, you're looking for hooks, you're looking yeah. for these things. But whereas um, with... Uh, with a deeper understanding, um, when I when I got the album, I just put it on um, on my speakers f- full and just uh, read and had it in the background twice, and it was wonderful. Um, so I, I and I think that's as you say that road trip music, and it's it's in a way it's its own version of ambient music. Yeah, it's about the experience of it rather than trying to extrapolate any anything meaningful and that's not yeah. to say that the lyrics are substanceless um but they're actually party and parcel of the, the entire atmosphere created by it and it's just serenity it's tranquility yeah. Yeah. it's the sense of utter peace but also like tinges of excitement filtered in as well um as and it reminds me of like a like a really chilled out Bruce Springsteen yes. or, or something, you know, that sense of grand American expanses. They're a very American band. Yeah. Um, you, as you say, like Road Trip, like Route 66, you could imagine just having that blaring while you yeah. go down, uh, down the desert. Um, when uh, they've always had the kind of Springsteen comparisons, I remember when uh, Slave Ambient came out, the Spin Review coined the term boss wave or boss keys i can't remember <laughs> but i was like really annoyed about it but also i thought that that's quite accurate and i think that um this album has some of the most boss wavy mm, yeah. uh, songs yet but to me it's just more exciting than anything bruce Springsteen never did it seems more limitless like the idea of driving down route 66 and aiming for the horizon and it's just like these simple things like the harmonica and in chains never sounded so infinite it just feels like the endless open road and you can just keep going um and the secret weapons on this are the the percussion which is really booming but never overwhelming and the bass which is always kind of in the slipstream and really melodic as well as driving and um the kind of guitars that they that they flange off of it because it's so dominant just like oh, it's just it's just so atmospheric and as you said it, it really does have that kind of dreamy temporal feeling especially on a song like thinking of a place which is 13 minutes and mm. just goes in and out of kind of consciousness a little bit and um and yeah the lyrics are um not anything complex complex but 
I think that the the clarity of the sound of the music itself helps to kind of help his emotions resonate on a deeper level. There's a lot of longing, there's a lot of nostalgia, nothing original, but because of the richness and the grandiosity of the music itself, it resonates on a really deep level, despite its simplicity. So, um, yeah. And my favorite song of all is Pain, which is um, mm, yeah. track two, which just is just comes out of the gate absolutely rocking and then towards the end just during the middle of their guitar solo it has a kind of bass drop moment like i don't know how you can have a bass drop in a rock song like this but somehow they manage it and it's just one of the most epic things i've heard in rock music this year um the last album was a huge success i can't imagine that this one won't be yeah that's it there's a lot of there's a say radio friendly might be a wrong word but there yeah. is that sort of the way the sit Lost in the Dream had like red eyes yeah. and the title track featured a lot. I can imagine this being similar. Yeah, the only problem is quite a lot of the tracks on this are all pushing like five, six plus minutes. Mm. So they'll have to make radio edits or something. But I'm sure that won't be an issue. Yeah, I'm sure Mary Ann Hobbs will find a way. <laughs> <coughs> um, yeah, uh, any any final thoughts? Um, I can't wait to own this on vinyl because it's mm. going to sound absolutely ludicrously good. Yep, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. The beauty and the pain It's the strangest thing And next up we have Nadine Shah's Holiday Destination. Yeah, and this, I was a fan of Nadine Shah, but not like, uh, not hugely up on her until you started talking about, you'd got an advanced copy of this album because you were going to interview her and you kept saying how good it was. So I, li- I listened to it and you're right, I'm absolutely blown away by it every time I hear it. It's just one of the most interesting sounding rock albums, most interesting lyrically albums. Um, uh, did we mention PJ Harvey before, or was that what off air? Anyway, it reminds yeah. me of PJ Harvey a lot in its its pointedness and its mm. its barbed lyricism and in its uh, how much is interesting production is going on in what seem on the surface kind of simple, straightforward rock songs. But um, you spoke to her. What did uh, what do you make of it? Uh, yeah, she was she was, it was one of the best interviews I've ever done. She's absolutely like really lovely, very very funny and intelligent. I uh, had a, had a few beers with her. She she did not pull any punches against the likes of Alt J. No, no. But obviously, the thing, the more important things to take from it were the like the um, the work she's doing with uh, Refugees UK and and um, also the point she's raising with these like first hand accounts and everything. And that what I think is best about Holiday Destination is the balance it strikes between a very visceral criticism of the yes men, the proverbial yes men, which she uses as a title of the tracks, which includes a very enabling media and a very enabling political class um, about the current situation via Brexit and the refugee crisis. And that is, is very conspicuously a UK album. It's a very British album and some of the, ta- the, the stuff... I feel like the last bit of yes men is about Trump, though, mm. when he says yeah. he's ruling the world surrounded by yes men in the final refrain. But yeah, it is mostly... Uh, well, I think it's kind of a uh, globalised album. Mm, that yeah. song 2016, 
obviously it's an overview of all the terrible things that happened in 2016 from Bowie's death to Brexit and etc. refugee crisis and I think Trump is kind of in the figures in that picture yeah. of course yeah I, I just um, the songs like uh, Jolly Sailor which when I imagine my review will be up by the time uh, this comes out as well um, I make the point that this is alongside Lost Campesinos so is the fall of home this is the like one of the first great songs about capital G great songs about Brexit um, and that it's a very compassionate, objective perspective on it. It's it is a very sad song in terms of the demonization, the vilification of working class people was stupid racists when they've been lied to, as Nadine makes very apparent in her interview and on the album. But as you say, like that, the barbed l- lyricism she has there. Also extends to the production, which is one of my favorite things about the the so album. So good, so good. And the, like the, the the percussion, um, the the guitar is so jagged, it's so restless, and yeah. the, that fucking saxophone that oh comes up. Oh my god, the sax! And it's not used in just like typical sax ways. There's some really weird sax use, like the wildness on out the way, mm, yeah. and then it's a bit more typically punchy on something like relief. Uh, which has become my most played song of mm. like the last month. The re- relief is so good, and yeah, um, I don't know who the producer is. Actually, I should have looked this up. Do you know? Um, she produced. Oh, um, she co-produced it, probably. Yeah, yeah, she co-produced it. Um, but yeah, just making songs like Evil genuinely sound evil. Mm. And yeah. uh, we talked about Yes Men before, and she said in the interview that she slowed it down. You yeah, s- she said yeah. that. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting because it has this really weird. Not weird, but really powerful slow gait that just makes it even more seething and angry and scary in a way. And that song is just superb. Like the whole album is uniformly great. Um, yeah, and I can't wait to see her end of the road as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. She, I imagine she'll be absolutely class live. Um, so yeah, check check that out. It's it's very moving, very accessible as well. Like it's, it doesn't it doesn't condescend at all. No. It's and. Um, but at the same time, incredibly intelligent and incredibly informed. Like her voice, actually, we haven't chatted about her voice. Her yeah, voice her is, voice is so powerful. It, is, it just it cuts the decor even more than the, the instrumentation does. Yeah. Shall we, shall we move on to some, uh, quickly through some other albums? What else has been released? So, well, we start with Grizzly Bear, Painted Ruins. Right. Uh, so Grizzly Bear are one of, one of the probably formative bands in my listening history, especially Yellow House and Vecatimest, um, their second and third albums, which just introduced me to the idea of art rock and uh, made me realise how really practiced almost classical playing can be used on in pop kind of uh rock and that was especially true when you saw them live and they kind of presented themselves in a line on the stage and you saw chris bear on drums just absolutely guiding them through it and how musical they were and i feel like painted ruins their first in five years kind of takes that to an extreme to a point where it's 
kind of dense and hard to get into the songs. They're definitely not as immediate as some of the songs from those two albums I mentioned, or even Shields, which was already going in this direction. I know a lot of people loved Shields, uh, and it has some songs on it that I love, but I, it was going in the direction of where we are with Painted Ruins, where it's just, it doesn't, the songs don't feel like they can breathe. They feel like there's t- there's, there's a lot of really dense and knotty instrumentation going on. And it just, yeah, I just, there's a few moments that are catchy, but overall I've listened to the album over a half dozen times and I still can't really say if I have a favorite song or at le- or anything or any point out any moments, which is kind of disappointing to me because they used to have such high highs on their albums. I mean, I can still listen to While You Wait For The Others any day and, and that song is just, I think the whole of Beckett Semester is incredible. Um, and yeah, I don't know. What do you make of this? And what's your history with Grizzly Bear? Um, so Grizzly, someone put on Twitter one of those like Twitter questions that you like quote tweet. And then what a band has always, what um, revered band has always left you cold? And I answered Grizzly Bear. Oh really? Um, I I've always found them quite pristine. I've always been impressed by their musicianship, but I've never connected with them. Yeah. Um, uh, but the, uh, the more I listen to them, I think I've, the more I've appreciated them. And like two weeks is still an absolutely yeah. gorgeous. Like I could listen to that all day. I think, but that's been quite an outlier in terms of my relationship with them. Yeah. Um, I I'm, I put this out there that I think this is one of the most seven out of ten albums I've heard this year. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think this is categorically seven out of ten. Yeah. Um, it's almost because like you can't give it lower than seven out of no. ten because it's. I mean, it's just not worse than that. I no. mean, just the amount of sheer musicianship and the melodicism that's gone into it is at least worth a seven. But then you find it harder to go a bit higher. We gave it seven point five on for four or five, because it's just it doesn't leave that much of an impression on you. So it's kind of stuck in that seven out of ten middle ground. Yeah, it's it's almost like premeditated to be as um, unenjoyably good <laughs> as possible. Yeah, I really um, think that these songs in the live setting will when they've got more space to breathe and you can actually see the musicianship in front of you of what's going into the songs, I think they'll actually really, really be really good because they are a great live band mm. and I would quite like to catch them still on this tour. Uh, Four Cypresses and Morning Sounds, they're yeah. two, they're, they, are like, they are two good singles from it. Yeah. And um, like um, Song Explorer did a good breakdown of Four Cypresses and like it was quite interesting hearing about... like. The well, the most interesting thing from the album was the song explored episode, and most and most interesting from that we've seen about like how Chris Crispier, how experimental he likes being with yeah. his uh, with his drumming, and he and his drumming is always like regardless of what I thought about Chris the Bear, the the thing that's always impressed me has been Chris Bear's drumming. It's always yeah. so interesting, but obviously so obviously intricate, without yeah. overplaying the music. No, it's like yeah, it's really it's not like a, the kind of drumming that's full of fills and and crashes. It's a lot of uh, ghost notes and kind of uh, jazzy kind of spare drumming. It mm. just really works so well with their sound. Yeah, um, maybe uh, maybe we'll revisit it later on the year to touch upon it. Maybe I like Grizzly Bear. Remember it. Yeah. Oh, oh, fire, fire raining down on all of us. Um, Anything else? So we move on. No, let's move on. There's loads uh, more. What about uh, everything? Everything a fever dream. We we gave it a nine point five. We did, and that kind of prompted me to go back and listen to it much more because I've never been into everything. Everything I've not really had a feeling about them either way. But reading Andy's review for this album made me go back, and I actually think it is a really really good album. It's really catchy. Mm. It's 
it's um unpredictable and exquisitely produced and it's it's catchy but it's also uh really you know multi-layered and multifaceted and it's pointed again at its lyricism maybe not as intricately as something like Nadine Shah but it still gets the message across about you know this fucked up situation we're all finding ourselves in and what are we going to do about it kind of thing what do you think yeah I I, I really liked it I just say it's, it, it didn't hit me immediately it took a second listen after Andy's review so if, if anything that shows the, the power of music criticism to try yeah. and like change change minds even if it is just the two of us yeah. um I, yeah, it's a very, it's a very like subtle. It's very clever unpacking of our neuroses and processes around how we think about politics and how yeah. we uh, look at this situation. Like, um, it's, it's almost like it's assuming a third person perspective where he's just um, assured his personal output and is just contemplating um, our own approach to th- to looking at these situation. Um, and it's very, it's like the music's quite transportive, but never overrules what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I really like it. Um, yeah. I'll have to have more listens to it to form a more like tangible opinion. But after yeah. after two listens, I'm I'm really on board with it. Yeah, it's definitely an album that can, should be listened to loud if you can. It feels like it's come from jamming out in um and together in a room and kind of going, what if we try this and taking the songs in kind of different directions that you might not expect and then back again and yeah just really impressive all around it's making me want to go back and actually investigate the previous albums more fully and i can imagine again these will be amazing live i'm sure all right what else came out uh so alice glass released her first official like studio release solo, as, yeah. as, as a solo artist um have you have you heard much of this while i've heard like it? three or four songs in it yeah. uh, some of it is a bit too abrasive for my taste yeah. but i can see why some people would like it, but there are, there was one song I heard that I really liked. I can't remember which one it was now. <laughs> uh, one of the more mellow ones, yeah. obviously. Uh, yeah. What do you think? Um, it's interesting you use that because I think I completely agree. Like, um, because when you're learning with how Crystal Castles have evolved since the the breakup with with Ethan and they they brought in this new singer Edith Francis, um, they're pursuing a more conservative and in, in their view, like melodic direction with yeah, own soundscapes, straightforward. Um, and this is wildly punky with some great, and there's some re- really hemorrhaging moments on it, but it's inconsistent and there's no real highs in it, which and and which sort of suggests that Glass and Kath were the perfect foil for each other, where they that the <laughs> melody. I mean, I think we already all knew that probably. Yeah, yeah. but. Who who knows? Maybe Crystal Castles will release another masterpiece a few years down the line, and Alice Glass Glass will. Yeah, yeah, and and they'll both. Maybe Alice Glass will work with Grimes. (laughs) Don't 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 give me like that would be like. But, well, like, um, Alice Glass was a genuine like role model when I was like sixteen. Because even though I didn't have that emo phase, I was like Crystal Castles were one of, if not my favorite band when I was like fifteen, sixteen. Um. I, th- I don't know how that even materialised. I must have got them on Spotify, but I still Skins? adore them. They were in Skins. Yeah, they were. I remember that. No. But I don't think it was them. But um, anyway, um, Oni Hotrick's Point Never. Do you want to have thoughts? Yeah, Oni Hotrick's Point Never, a.k.a. Daniel Lopatin, who brought out one of my favourite albums of recent years in Garden of Delete back in 2015. And he's got a new one coming out soon, apparently. But in the meantime, he's been soundtracking a film called Good Time, which I think is going to be released in 
UK cinemas in the next couple of months. It stars Robert Pattinson, and it sounds pretty cool. It looks like a pretty gritty kind of thriller thing. And uh, Daniel Lopatin, aka One Eight Tricks Point Never, walked away from Cannes Fil- Film Festival this year with the soundtrack award for this release. So it's definitely worthy of an album release on Warp. Um, some tracks on it are obviously quite ambient and kind of do nothing because they're supposed to be soundtracking a film where probably there's a lot of talking going on. But then there's other tracks where it's frenetic and it's it's exciting and it, it's uh, I mean it's not as idiosyncratic as his last album, um, but it definitely pays homage to other great uh, TV composers like Badalamenti or um, uh, who's the other one, the famous one, you know, the one who does all the synths. <laughs> um, <laughs> not, not, not John, John Car- Carpenter. John Carpenter, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, right, John Carpenter and uh, and the guy who did Blade Runner, who I can't remember. Right oh, right. Evangelis. Evangelis, yeah, yeah, all of those guys. It's a bit of that all wrapped up into... Uh, a pristine modern package and I, it was made me excited for the, out, the film and even more excited for the next one Tricks Point Never album I writ a full writ I writ a review yeah I writ a full review on the 405 if you want to read my proper feelings not this garbled mess okay next one um, the next one is uh, House of Feelings Last Chance Abby. yeah which I did uh, what, how did this come across your desk because this is quite interesting I especially like the Meredith Graves track yeah um, so it actually came in through like just a PR email. Um, that I like I, I, these guys I trust quite a lot. I've always been into what they've uh, put out to me, um, and I I really dig this. Like um, yeah. I, to me they're like a they're like a rougher, scrappier LCD sound system. That's all like disco punk. Um, it's not there's there's some textures and some layers that may be a bit flat, but there's also a lot of good stuff on here especially the Meredith Graves track that is really really banging really at, at times yeah Meredith Graves from the band Perfect Pussy for those yeah. who don't know and then they also have uh, the Sh- Shamir's Shamir, feature as well and Gabby I'm yeah. a fan of Gabby yeah. too so, so th- there's there's quite a lot on here and it's definitely worth checking out I mean um, I'd say like it's it's not a great EP but there's a lot of promise here that I think is the takeaway from it is that they could be Given a maybe a bit more experienced production, um, a bit more polished, the, these lads could be great. Are they lads? Where are they from? And New York, I believe. Oh, New York. Classic New York lads. Yeah, yeah. making, making yeah. DFA sounding stuff. Yeah, Love yeah. It. it reminds me of the Rapture a little bit. Mm, yeah, another good show. And um, like, uh, what what is that? I I actually never forgot what triple exclamation mark. What are they called? Chick chick chick. However you want to say it, you can yeah. call it bang bang bang, boom boom boom. I yeah. think you're allowed to say them. whatever you want, but most people say chick chick chick. Well, they remember them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Next and uh, last up, we have Frankie Rose Cage Tropical. Yeah, and I spoke to Frankie about this album, which was a real pleasure. Um, this is her first album in four years, and it seems like she's been through quite a lot since the last one because. I don't know if you followed her career, but she she brought out uh, an, her first, she's been in bands like um, Vivian Girls and Dum Dum Girls and things like that, and then she went solo with Frankie Rose and the Outs and brought out a pretty good but unremarkable album. And then brought out Interstellar, which is which was a huge success and got critically praised pretty much across the board. And then a year later, she brought out Here in Wild and that got critically panned across the board, and which I thought was really unfair because it was kind of just more of the same. Uh, which is probably why people didn't like it as much because it was so soon on the heels of a previous one. Uh, so now it's been four years and she seems like, in talking to her, she seemed like she wasn't sure she would ever make another album at all. Like she didn't think 
she would have the opportunities or that her time had just passed by, but now she's back on Slumberland with a new album that uh, kind of simplifies her sound to a certain extent because on the last album, Here in Wild, she had a lot of strings and I asked her if she wanted to do that again for this and she was like, no, that was my big budget album, so I didn't get to do that this time. But I think it kind of benefits from that. It, the the simplicity of the ideas really comes through in the intertwining melodies, a lot more synth work than guitars. Mm. Uh, and it, it it sounds big despite it being uh, formed in her bedroom and then kind of a solo record that she made with the help of a couple of producers in the studio. Um, and it's, it's kind of uh, an ephemeral joy. She talks a lot about, she told me about how it's kind of a time capsule of what she's going through when she's listening to it. So it's about songs about Art Bell, who is this radio uh, presenter that she was listening to a lot of the time to help her to get to sleep and things like that. So uh, it's very light and um, it might have some emotions in it, but it's just a really pleasant uh, album that I enjoy a lot. What do you think? Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, um, it's it's it is bigger than I I expected. Like I had I don't know why, but it went in anticipating slightness, like like a fine seven out of ten, enjoyable, but not returning. But there's a lot there's a lot here to unpack. There's quite a lot of like um, very patient moments and a lot, a lot of like bubbles there as well. And um, I I I I really enjoyed it. Um. And I think it's it's similar. It reminded me of that Waxahachie album we talked about last time, where it flowed over me at first. But the more I returned to it, the strength and depth and complexity of the songwriting sort of um, like regurgitates some really cool aspects to it. And uh, yeah, it's it's quite witty. It's insightful. Yeah, I like it a lot. Nice. Yeah. And read my interview with her. She was yeah. really fun to talk to. Uh, you know, happy to be self-effacing and just, you could tell that she's done a lot of interviews before. She's pretty experienced at talking about stuff and fun. Shall we move on to this week's retrospective? Yes, selected by you. It is indeed. So, uh, weeks ago, I asked, I told Rob I wanted to do Tears for Fears, Songs from the Big Chair. Uh, they're one of my favourite new wave bands, and I, you know, I don't think. But before uh, this week, I'd never, I'd never read a, a different, its own retrospective or a different reappraisal of them getting the credit they deserve. They were very well, critically well received, this album in particular in their time, but they're not really touched upon since then. When people talk about great 80s bands and great 80s albums, they don't really return to uh, Tears for Fears. But in, in in my view, they're up there with Talking Heads and New Order. Um, so I thought, hey, it's time we pioneered their critical reappraisal, particularly their best song, Songs from the Big Chair. So obviously, this Sunday morning, I woke up to a WhatsApp message from Rob um, linking me to Pitchfork's retrospective review of Songs from the Big Chair, articulating my exact thoughts near days before we recorded this. Yeah, I'm, literally I'm, the day before we were planning to record yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not bitter. <laughs> um, so just a bit of um, context from my perspective. Since over time, they've been reduced to 
that Donnie Darko band or Mad World and all of its cover versions as like this very glum, gothic, um, heavy-handed 80s band. Um, and the wheedling effects, particularly of the hurting, because it was so overt. It even has the, the uh, its cover art as a crying child for crying out loud. Pun yeah. very much intended. Um, and But this album, indelibly superior in my mind, and and one of the best albums in the 80s for me um yeah uh it's just it's just incredible um and severely underappreciated um as tears for fears as suggested by the name are a band obsessed with psychosis and the subconscious and the unspoken the psychologist arthur janov published a paper in the 70s arguing that all anxieties and neuroses we experience as fully developed adults is rooted in trauma often forgotten we are exposed to as children this is termed the primal scheme the primal scheme theory which the hurting extrapolated quite explicitly from um and while this was touched more uh more across the abstract theory in the hurting songs from the big chair is an expansion of this idea uh, a maturation of sorts where it's becoming more situational and specific uh rather than murdered in abstract theory and uh, Kurt Smith and Roland Orzabel, the two songwriters, explore this meaningfully um, yeah so just a bit of context there, uh, what did you think of it? I think that none of that context matters when you start playing Shout and it's just like this amazing pop song <laughs> that just gets stuck in your head and it doesn't really matter what it's about um, it's such a simple idea um and you just can't believe that it turns into this six-minute belter. Yeah. Um, and they do that throughout the album. You know, these songs, there might be all those ideas going on in it if you want to get into the lyrics. But I guess that's probably why, one of the reasons why Tears for Fears are a bit um, made fun of because they, no one pays attention to the seriousness of the lyrics. Or maybe people think it's a bit stupid for them to be so serious lyrically when the songs are just so fun and infectious musically. Um, I mean, they. this is... I think one of the things the things they said in that Pitchfork review, this is basically the the encapsula- encapsulation of eighties synth pop. Mm, this yeah. this album is the album that really uh, sounds like the the stereotypical eighties pop album. But that's because it's just so the songs are so indelible and amazing, and um, I mean has at least three of the most unforgettable singles of all time on it, mm. uh, as well as a bunch of other amazing stuff. Um, so I'm glad you chose it because I probably wouldn't have um, revisited it mm. otherwise. Even with the Pitchfork review, I would have thought, oh, well, it's Tears for Fears. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad at least well, one of you, and I'm sure there'll be dozens of you, if not thousands thousands of our listeners will be returning to to, to listen to it because it's definitely worth it. Um, it's interesting you mention the musical aspect to it because it's like, why I've noted them in the notes is that a gothic version of Duran Duran's incandescence the way they say the same way duran duran reached for the most bright lights possible and then with a, like a you know like a robert smith just yeah. like dragging them down at the same time so it's like and it's you know they've got the the saxophones the sequencers they've got dr- love live drums over drum machines they've got guitar solos in there that's well, it, it doesn't make like this is this isn't the band from the hurting this is a, a band trying to do so much musically and they pull it off um there's so much light and heart behind these very you know these philosophical and conceptual ideas um 
Do you want to go track by track? Uh, yeah, I've, I've, there's some, some I don't have very... Uh, I've not mentioned some stuff right, on. Well, let's just go through the big ones. Yeah. So, so obviously, Shout starts it. I already mentioned this is yeah. just a six-minute belter where yeah. it's, it's this simple... It gets stuck in my head every time, and it's such an enlivening track. It, it sounds like the 80s, but it still works just as powerfully today, you know? Um, it, I don't know, anyone growing up in this country... I hadn't heard it since I was a kid, but definitely when I was a kid, it used to be played on the radio a lot. Um, and just, it, it becomes so long because they just, the gradual build on it is so subtle, but then they just do, they go to a, like a synth aside and mm. then they go to a, a guitar solo aside and it just keeps coming back around to the, to the circular chorus. And it's just so well done. Um, I don't know any other song that works just quite as well as this. Yeah, it's kind of cyclical building. Yeah, it's it's, it's so impressive how it just like it, it moves from one transition to another. It's almost like the synth flute is like the step it needs to go from one block to to another. Um, the the you know, is the the barnstorming percussion, but it just it and it's not just the flow of it. It lives and breathes catharsis. Like the whole shout shout let it all out. Yeah, but it like the 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 vocals on it sort of like accompany it quite well in that you feel it's like a purging. Um, what I think is quite cool about it is that it's become almost like a dance floor classic. Like I've been in quite a few nightclubs where there've been like you know various remixes of it coming into everything. Even now, like it's just that that percussion and the the vocals of it have just been sort of like enveloped with UK house and UK garage. It's it's almost just like ingrained into the fabric of, of UK dance music now. It's quite cool. The working hour. I just want to say um, it has this sax intro. It's kind of really well recorded and uh, really nice. And I think like it's the kind of thing that a few years ago we'd have gone, "Oh God, that sounds so eighties and dated." But because tastes have come back around in such a way, where Nadine Shah is using sax on her album and stuff like that. I mean, the sax on Nadine Shah's album doesn't really sound like this, but it's we can appreciate this again now i don't know it's weird how it's come back around into style and uh yeah i just i wanted to point out that the sax in the working out is great and it even though that song overall does sound a bit spandau ballet it's it's still a good song there's nothing wrong with that and i was always like saxophone improves every song anyway i, I could write every song every song i write a thesis on it I'll, i will i will write a full article on why saxophone improves every song. you can <laughs> okay. bit, put, put money on it um so everybody wants to hit the world not to hate the world, to rule the world. Rule the world. That's just, that's brand new talking. <laughs> that's just like filtered through. Um, so I originally conceived as an afterthought. I didn't I didn't know this really? at the time. They thought it was too on the nose. They thought the lyrics were really quite um, shallow and there wasn't a lot to it. Um, that's what the mass is like, though. Yeah. Uh, they, they actually they were thinking of using it as a B-side for Shout or Head Over Heels or something. Yeah. Um, the shuffle beat is really fun. Like yeah. I really, really like the shuffle beat in this. And the lyrics are so... They're so conspicuously about conflict. It's so but righteous, it's, it's, this song. Yeah, but it, I think it, it, it works really well. Like, it still bangs quite yeah. bad. 
and I didn't know this, but Lord actually covered it. So another another throwback to our Queen Lord section. I totally see her covering it really uh, well. I I want to see her cover head over heels. Yeah, that would be amazing. That 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 would that'd be great. Uh, what were your thoughts on it? Uh, I mean, what is there to say about everybody wants to rule the world anymore? It's just everyone knows that song already. Everyone's already when they think about it, they're thinking about the the kind of galloping synth that that is the un, the backbone of the whole thing throughout. That just is just so infectious and um you know after 30 30 years almost it's just it gets it into your bones every time uh it's just like such an innocent song to begin with and then becomes quickly becomes such devastating and righteous like i said and it's just got this i don't know it's, it's not really anything else to say about it is it, everyone's heard it enough times now that words can't really do it justice you know it's the fact that we're all still listening to it and loving it after all these years mm. is enough. Yeah. You know, it's one of those songs that just matches the test of time. Yeah. Well, um, move on to uh, what, uh, what do you have up next? Uh, Mother's Talk, I haven't got that much about, but it's yeah. got a really interesting um, kind of polyrhythmic structure. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, kind of uh, one of the things that came into musical prominence in pop music in the 80s was more kind of African sounds and you get that again later on this album I think you hear that a bit on Mother's Talk too mm. um, but yeah it's a good song Broken, and that, which leads into Head Over Heels. Well, Broken Head Over Heels, which is kind of speaks to their ambition, yeah. I guess, because I don't know if many mainstream pop acts were doing like multi-part songs at this no. time, or or just even uh, that song, like just having eight songs on it. Yeah, that's just a bit funny. But like um, Broken, I think it's just it's it's almost quite sparse in a way. It's yeah, one of the most like um, idiosyncratic songs on the album. One of the more musically experimental which i think works but the, the highlight here is head over heels which is my i just oh, it's just a masterpiece yeah but i think they've kind of stolen a lot from cocteau twins in this song i think they've just kind of taken those kind of airy fluttering things and made them into bigger stadium sized synths but it's, it's such an incredibly good song uh, it's, it's, it's so amazingly good but it's, it's, it's both a great love song and a great like <laughs> Like an end of relationship song. Yeah, it's not quite a breakup song, but it's in the like the the, the, like the dying the dying embers. Yeah, um, of like how they just the, the love fades, and it's just it's just such a terrific, incisive melody with a really complex, complexly drawn relationship behind it. It's just it's just an absolute banger. Uh, yeah, uh, do you have anything? To no, I just, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's another one of those. It's not as well-known as Everybody Wants to Rule the World, but I'm sure people, as soon as they put on Head Over Heels, like, I hadn't appreciated that this song was going to be on that album, and then on this album, when when I started listening to it, getting ready for this podcast, I was like, oh, moly, this song. I haven't heard this since I was a kid, but it's still so good. Um, so, yeah, it's one of those songs, like Everybody Wants to Rule the World, that kind of seeped into my psyche as a mm. kid listening to the radio. And it's just still to this day, I was just like, oh, t- swept away by it every time I listened to it, ready, getting ready for this. It's just so good. Um, 
And then listen, do you have anything for the last one? Um, I thought it was a very... It was an interesting way to end it. Yeah, so it's it very like, kind of avant-garde, especially mm. for a, a mainstream pop act. Um, you know, the first half is kind of ambient. Yeah. And then, the, as I said before, there's a lot of African influence. Mm. Um, it reminds me of their contemporaries, Talk Talk. A lot of this album does actually remind me of Talk Talk. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good show. Um, and uh, then the African influence on Listen kind of made me think of Caitlin Aurelia Smith, who's doing a lot of a similar thing these days. Um, we'll probably talk about her new album when it comes out in a month. Mm. And yeah, and it just gives you an example of uh, even it. I don't know. I bet Caitlin Aurelia Smith has heard this Tears for Fears album. So it gives you an idea of what an uncool band, what might be deemed an uncool band, having an influence on an artist who's definitely considered like one of the most uh, coolest, for lack of a better word, around at the moment. So, you know, the trends don't tell you everything. You decide your own trends, kids. Don't go with the flow. That's that's the ultimate message to yeah, come out of reappraising Tears for Fears. Yeah, that's the denouement that we've completely projected onto this album. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think that pretty much sums up my thoughts and listens. Like, it's a quietly, very quietly, tacitly powerful and outro to it. Um, yeah, play, listen to songs from the big chair. Read, I say through gritted teeth, but read the pitchfork retrospect of it is a great piece. Um, sadly, sadly for us. Yeah, shall we move on to our favourite yeah. our favourite articles, uh, favourite pieces of music criticism? I want to tell people what we're going to do for our next retrospective, but oh, I, can't, yeah, yeah. I can't think of anything, so you'll just have to wait and see. Okay, get so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe some be. Cocteau Twins, maybe Songs Ohio, maybe Talk Talk, since they've come up. And it's all, it's uh, exciting. It's all over the place. Yeah. We'll keep we'll keep you uh, up to date, just in case. Um, so, yeah, so um, over the, the first article we like to talk about and it's well it initially started from Luke Turner who is one of the quietest founders and editors he wrote a piece for Crack about when did music journalism stop wielding the axe um, and since he wrote this basically every publication bar the four or five have written a similar piece about negative music criticism yeah but he obviously didn't see your Arcade Fire review he certainly did not no he should send that to him. I bet he's also been inundated with pictures for stories for the quietest that are yeah. really negative as well. Yeah, yeah. It's like why LCD sound system or the the like the the apex of corporate walk or something. No, I don't. Yeah. Um, Do you think he has a point? I think it does. Yeah. Um, I've been. I think it's got to the stage now where seven is considered a bad score in some way. Yeah. Um. It's there is. There seems to be a, a, a like a, a avenue where most reviews are between sixes and eight, um, and it's maybe compartmentalized criticism to an extent. But then there's all whole loads of various factors you have to throw in. Like there's so much music nowadays, you only want to talk positively about it. But then 
and uh, also people, the relationships between PRs, writers and sites are very cordial now and I don't want to say like uh, cuddly but they, they, we, like, you, it seems a way that we have, we have friends that are music PRs. Yeah. And, uh, it's an industry that's kind of built on doing favours. Yeah. So you don't want to you don't want to annoy people. Like I felt really bad to, when the PR saw your Arcade Fire review. It was like, oh my god, Arcade Fire review is savage. And I was like, oh shit, what should I say to that? <laughs> but I felt bad. So I, I sent him an apology. I was like, yeah, I didn't know Kieran would take against it that much. So yeah, that's kind of uh, kind, that's kind of our industry. We're in it. And yeah. the other thing is, like, since so many of us, so many of the writers that write for the 405 and a lot of other sites are doing it pro bono, they don't want to cover anything that they don't like they yeah. don't want to spend time listening to albums they don't like i mean if we were paying them and assigning them specific albums that then maybe they would uh is, i mean get is, uh, give more negative reviews because they have to write about what we're paying them to write about but yeah. as long as we're not i mean they they have the full right to refuse spending time listening to an album they don't like so yeah that's but, the way it goes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like no, we're we're not really gonna give up our free time to review a new lad rock band from Sheffield. Yeah, like it's it's it, we we want to do what we're passionate about, and if but we can it's how we frame that narrative. So if we if we marginalise shit big bands like Arcade Fire like if we refuse for them to control the dom- like the conversation and instead um, promote big like great bands who are succeeding where they are failing then that's that's our own version of success in a way I guess um, but yeah I, I feel like negative criticism obviously like people see it as oh it's just an excuse to be look how witty I am, but I I I feel like I feel it's quite entertaining. It can be quite funny, quite entertaining, and it can be important. And like, and I don't know whether this is me just self justifying, but the, the Arcade Fire's bullshit was tasteless, and it was quite um, vindictive in a way. So I felt um, vindicated and slating it because it was not just terrible, but it was mean spirited, and I feel like. Equally, that isn't. It's not quite equally as important as impro- as promoting uh, unknown great bands. But I feel there's definitely there's room for both critical opinion and platforming. But like, it's a big it's a big industry. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, does he expect people to put out savage reviews of debut albums? Like, how harsh is that to savage a band on their first mm. ever release? Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's, who, who's that? Who's that working for? Yeah, who was it? Who was it? Did he suggest any no, debut bands? He didn't, he didn't. But um, I mean, he'd made some good points about how if uh, you read a negative review of an album you liked, it kind of helped you to find more ways to defend and love the albums you like. So it's valuable in that way, and I could I could appreciate that angle. But mm. and I do agree. I mean, it would be nice to see more negative reviews, but at the same time, I completely understand why there aren't so many of them. You know, so yeah. Well, um, I'll check out. We'll we'll link to it, and it's it's a debate that's been consuming music Twitter for the past six weeks. So, uh, who knows if you want to add to the noise? Um, next up, we have Scott Star- Sterling's piece about uh, a small a small town, a small and an even smaller record store releasing an exclusive Aphex Tin record. Yeah, so apparently this is on NPR. This is a small record store just outside of you know the Motown hub of Detroit called Technical Equipment Supply, 
like 20 miles outside of Detroit that the owner of it is just such a respected and revered kind of um, curator of musical sounds. And he's, I think he's made his own music in the past as well. And he treats his uh, customer experience and the way he presents the albums in the store as like a very experiential thing where you kind of move through it and you might see a lot of, a few things you recognize, but he hopes that you'll see a lot of things that you don't recognize and you'll, you'll be able to tell by what is near, uh, like what, whether you'll like it or not which sounds like a really fun kind of way to go about record shopping whenever i go to a new record store i want to try and buy something that i don't know in advance but that's always kind of scary because records are so expensive these Mm. days you don't want to spend 20 quid on something that you're never going to listen to so it would be and i feel like you can google and use the internet these days for things but that kind of takes the fun out of it so technical equipment supply in detroit this article is about how they're kind of sticking to the traditional way of bargain you know bargain diving and finding records and stuff and because of the his notoriety uh apex twin power he had put out a 12 inch that was only available in this one shop in detroit um and uh it took a while for someone to cotton on i think and then then it finally made its way onto resident advisor and apparently they had lined down the street the next day for people looking for this apex twin record which kind of made me a bit sad because it gives you an idea of how desperate people are for limited releases by big names they would never have made that trip out there if they just heard oh this is a good record store where you might discover something you don't know they only went out there because they thought oh i can get this very rare thing from this artist i already love but it's an interesting story and um definitely makes me want to go and visit it if i'm ever in the area yeah well yeah i completely agree but it's i guess as you say there'll be there'll be dozens of these around the uk um like i remember i went into brighton um, a few months ago to visit my friend who lives there and then we went into the the record store there and they had the the OCs Live at San Francisco album which was a very it's very limited release and had it there and I was I was blown away and I had I felt I had to buy it because it's it's just like I felt like so in- yeah. instinctive. Well that's yeah that's more fun if you didn't expect that going in. Mm. But these people are driving twenty miles yeah. knowing exactly what they're gonna get, there's something a bit sad about that. I mean, it's not sad. I mean, I can understand it. I love Apex Twin too, and I love limited releases. But I, I hope they at least bought something else while they were there. That would be my hope. Yeah, yeah, and like, you know, they may become return customers and stuff. And I guess that, I guess that that's the point of the exercise, along with you know, aggravating Apex's notoriety as being enigmatic and mysterious. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. Um. Uh. La- last up on our our favorite articles. Um. This one was um, initiated by me as a Grant Rinner's 10-year anniversary retrospective of MIA's Cala. Um, I've written for Dazed, and this and he's, Grant's my favourite writer on Dazed. Um, he's, he writes really, really well, but he's also incredibly informed about rap music and R&B. Like he comes from an almost scholarly place, um, and his, his, his take on Cala is really, really interesting very fascinating what he takes from it and he's got a lot of cool interview pieces and everything it's just a very well researched well written piece on a very very good album in my view yeah i absolutely loved this piece because i like color but i'd never really appreciated it as you know one of those best of the century so far should be held up for 
the uniqueness and the importance of it and he really delves into the lyrics picks out some choice things talks about the way she's mashing cultures and bringing in lesser heard voices and uh, the way her lyrics are very political and bringing in a new sphere of politicality to the politicality is that a word political uh, a new political sphere into conversation into mainstream conversation and how a song like paper planes obviously was a huge worldwide success but there is a message there and hopefully people went beyond paper planes and bought the album and learned more about you know her culture and uh and the the kind of feelings of being a mini- minority in in america which is still very prescient today which i think is why he's written this article 10 years on and it made me really want to go back and listen to it a lot more obviously diplo and switch have become a lot more uh omnipresent mm. in the 10 years since but at this time they were still just Diplo and Switch they hadn't made Major Laser, and they were still you know just producers trying to uh, get their beats heard and working and they created some amazing ones for this and uh, her lyrics uh, the ones that he's quoted at least I haven't had a chance to go back and listen since reading this but it seems like she had I kind of always had the impression of her as a bit of a, a goofball in her head maybe not so intelligent uh, but uh, that's definitely not the impression I get in reading this article. No, no, it's it's really great. Uh, I'll, we will link to it, and honestly, um, check out Grant on on uh, Twitter. Like, he's, he's 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 really funny as well. He writes for Pigeons and Planes and Brooklyn Vegan and other cool sites. Um, I'll, I'll link him in as well. When the river's wild, we jump off the bridge And when we get home, we play some deep When it's free, oh, we go to river and swim And when we go fishing, we catch in the brim When the river's wild, we jump off the bridge And when we get home, we play some deep Shall we do any any other business to bring up, Rob? Or? Yeah, the only thing I want to mention is this pivot to video thing, which has me sh- quaking in my boots. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, pivot to video is a thing that a lot of websites are now doing, including MTV, Mike, outside of the music realm, something like Fox Sports. Uh, it's just uh, culling a lot of his uh, pros yeah. and writers from their team and instead going for video video content through and through to present which uh i mean obviously i i don't see why there's not space for both but um i guess they only have limited funds and if they think that i mean it's hard to deny that that's kind of the way that culture is going screens are now omnipresent and it's easier to look at a video on your phone while you're on the bus than to try and read some small text but it just it doesn't Maybe I'm a Luddite, but I want to read people's thoughts as expressed in words, not in... Well, I mean, they still express them in words and videos, but it's never as well put together, not as intricately thought out. Um, You know, someone like The Needle Drop has obviously made a big name for himself doing video reviews, and I I think he's good and he has a good niche, Mm. but I don't want to see every kind of reviewer on the internet become a needle drop. No, uh, um, and I don't want to get my news in like thirty second bursts of. I want to still be able to listen to music while I read my news, mm. the kind of thing. I don't know. Do I sound like an old man? Do I sound scared? Well, no. You're, apparently, you're perfectly representative of our generation because uh, 
quantitative study found that millennials prefer to read than watch things. So um, I, I think it was the Guardian published it, and a few other places published it, and that found that well, that might be just the Guardian's clientele, but the the idea that like um, people are gen- there will always be an audience for good articles for good literature for good writing um and obviously we're gonna we're gonna say that as writers but it's i think it's perfectly true people there's you will not have the sense of power or the sense of being moved from watching a guy or talking or a series of talking heads um you, you know you see you see it um with some of the other ones that are going around they're all just like advert strewn there's there's no like you don't get this the palpable sense of immediacy from reading somewhere and it's a real shame and obviously it's very scary from our perspective even doing pro bono it's it's quite scary reading um that this is happening but because also what does it symbol signify for our um for our industry 10 15 20 years down the line um especially since there's so little money in it anyway since there's so little revenue to be generated from digital journalism and the village voice um it's getting shut down. It was announced it was shutting down today as well. So if print journalism is dying and digital journalism is not going to make any money from it, are we just going to be watching the like, like people, people um, post video reviews with fart jokes in it, followed by a McDonald's advert for the rest of our lives? Like, there's something has to give, and has to give soon. Other and uh, otherwise, yeah, like good music journalism and good music journalism at large, good written journalism at large is really really going to suffer you know what writing suffers from lack of memes <laughs> it's just not a good medium for memes no no <laughs> that, that that that's true maybe maybe if we start doing poop emojis and, yeah uh, and and our big maybe that should reviews. be our new rating scale on <laughs> it should be emojis rather than out of 10 I'll what like emojis that. would you give science fiction we're brand new um I think there would have to be a series of them, so that you'd have the uh, the clapping emoji, the uh, the praise emoji, the uh, thumbs up. Yeah. Uh, what would you, what what emojis would you give the everything now except for the poop emoji? You can't. You're excluded from the poop emoji. Oh, what else is there? I give a knife, uh, and like a person getting stabbed. Hopefully that will be clear. And just like thunder clouds and a very a crying face and savage. <laughs> savage. <laughs> a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well um yeah we 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 aren't too happy with this and a lot of people aren't. There's been some quite a good pieces. I think there was a piece in shortlist about it which was quite good as well. Um if we can try and if we find it we'll we'll try and link it out. But if not, then be sad with us. Um <laughs> Otherwise, thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm Kieran. You can find me on Twitter at no, not that Devlin, D E V L I N. And I am Rob Hakimian, but on Twitter I'm temporaryism. It's like temporary with an ism on the end. And next episode, our fifth episode, we'll be recapping End of the Road. Any fans at End of the Road, come say hello. I'm sure you recognise us. Yes, well, we'll as a, as the superstars of the podcast. Um, but we'll also be recapping LCD Sound Systems' new album, which oh, yeah. is exciting. So get hyped for that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do, do you want to give them a hint of how you feel about it? I really, really 
can't see much. Uh, <laughs> okay, there you go. Uh, I feel Expect the embar- more of that next time. Yeah, hashtag embargo. Uh, uh, yeah, so thanks for joining us, and we'll speak to you later. Bye.